The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! Also, hold it in the Sahara. Also, Kanten da. Fahren in the Sahara. Miedema. Miedema van de Donkers mee. Miedema. Goal, 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 goal. Deoro. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, 13, the lucky corner number for Sweden, Red Flames put out and can Renard fox the Dutch? Well, it's Kelly Summers here and joining me, it's the Athletic's Sarah Shepherd. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. It's also great to have football journalist Carrie Dunn along too. Good evening, Carrie. Hello there, Kelly. Hello, I'm saying good evening because, of course, we are recording after finding out who England's semi-final opponent will be. It will, of course, be Sweden, but only just Sweden scoring the only goal against Belgium with just one and a half minutes to go. Now, Sarah, that was a dramatic finish, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, you kind of felt it was coming for the whole game, but then it got to the point where you thought, hang on it's never going to come and this is going to go to penalties, isn't it? So I was quite surprised when they actually did score because it just felt like, you know, the Belgium goal had led a very charmed life and sometimes you just think, well, this is going to continue till the bitter, bitter end. The longer it went on, Carrier, all I kept thinking was from an English point of view, this is surely good if it goes to extra time, if it goes the distance for the Lionesses because whoever was going to win that was going to have had more minutes in their legs. Yes, it's a good point. I mean, I saw lots of people on Twitter saying, don't think England have too much to worry about from either of these teams. I was like, don't say things like that. (laughs) I mean, that's just tempting fate horribly. I mean, obviously, Sweden were creating the chances, weren't they? And it was just just converting them. And yes, the extra time was looming. And I was kind of fancying Belgium to snatch it on the break, to be Mm. honest. The number of efforts Sweden had and just didn't take up. Yeah, it did feel like that could be happening. I'm also a little bit on board with you as well. I don't want to get too excited from an England point of view. I was working with Rachel Brown-Finnis last night and every time everyone was getting a bit carried away, she was saying, no, look at the next game and also don't get too carried away. We're all getting carried away. We can't say those three words just yet. It's coming home, the three words, I mean, but we're not allowed to say any of that. And today we're not going to be talking about England, are we? Let's get into how Sweden did it and how they made it into the semi-final. Slani with the delivery for Sweden. The hand is there, punched away, back in it goes. Still not clear. There it is! Sweden score! And it's Linda Zemblatt right at the death for Sweden. And how big is that? Well, Sweden had over 30 shots against Belgium, but in normal time, they had absolutely nothing to show from it. But Q corner number 13 in the dying moments and Linda Sembron pounces on the rebound for a 1-0 victory at Lee Sports Village to send Sweden in to the semi-finals. Let's talk about both teams first, Sarah. What did you make of the way the game panned out? Did it pan out how you expected it to? We've already said that, of course, Sweden dominated the chances. Yeah, I think it did. Um, you know, Sweden were heavily the favourites and they, they dominated possession from the start, really. And it was just a case of offence against defence, if you want to take the American <laughs> kind of parlance on it. 
Belgium, you know, they they defended so so well for such a long time. They didn't allow Sweden any space. You know, a lot of Sweden shots came from came from far out because you know they just couldn't get close. And then they they were getting frustrated. You know, the longer the game went on, that you could just see the frustration creeping in. I think Aslani kicked out uh, one of the Belgian players, and you could just see you know how annoyed they were getting that they they'd had so many chances and just hadn't converted any of them. Other than the result, Carrie, do you think that game did kind of play out how Belgium wanted it to? Was that what their game plan would have been? Yeah, I think so. I think Belgium were reasonably well organised. I mean, what they've done, they've done the simple things pretty well in the group stages, I've thought. I mean, no one really fancied them to be the ones to make it through and to be at this stage. And yeah, I think they came out and they set up reasonably well. And I think that frustration that we saw from Sweden in the latter stages would have been very very pleasing for for the Belgian players to watch they're thinking oh we're we're getting to them this is perhaps they're going to lose their concentration this could be the chance for us to nick it so yeah I mean bad luck on on Belgium but I I guess they're probably quite pleased to get this far yeah it's been a brilliant tournament for Belgium hasn't it and as you said we did expect Sweden to go through but when we look at Sweden and we analyze them as we will do did it look like they lacked ideas up front a little bit from open play it felt at times maybe Sarah they were trying to play a bit too narrow yeah yeah they they didn't have much width did they I don't know how much of that is down to the players that they were missing through Covid you know Peter Carlson has to make a lot of changes that he probably wouldn't have made otherwise you know they're also missing their captain who I think lends a bit more impetus in midfield but yes they were they were narrow and I think I think against England I, I just think we'll see a slightly different performance because they'll have they'll have more space to work in and, and maybe they'll have those those missing players back. Did you expect Sweden to make a few more changes? I thought it was interesting actually post-match, Carrie, where Magdalena Eriksson said to TV that it's been a really difficult week for them. I just wondered if maybe they could have made more changes. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I was quite surprised to see what changes they made and how late they started mm. to think about that. But yeah, I think I think Sarah's probably right. I think the number of personnel they had to draw on was probably pretty pretty yeah. limited. So I, I guess they were making do with, with, with what they had, and I guess that's another reason I think we should be wary about drawing too many conclusions ahead of ahead of the semi final. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Belgium as well, because you said it's a real achievement for them getting this far. Some of their players still aren't even professional. And Nicky Evrard with a big point blank save from Black Stenius with 20 minutes to go. We are a big fan of hers. She saved two penalties already. And she has a side hustle on bouncy castles, as we said on the last show. Um, At this point, I'd also quickly like to ask, does anyone else have a side hustle alongside journalism talking women's football, Carrie? (laughs) Um, apart from cross stitch, no, but that's not really that exciting. It's not as fun as bouncy castles, is it? I quite like cross stitch. It's better than my side hustle. I don't really have a side hustle at all, to be honest. <laughs> what about you, um, Sarah? I've got a dream side hustle, one that I always I daydream about whenever I'm out and about and I see those professional dog walkers, you know, walking six or seven dogs. <laughs> I just think that that is the life, isn't it? I'd love a dog. I haven't, got, I haven't got one. I would just love to spend my time walking dogs. Like how amazing it is would life. that be? It's life, but seven dogs. <laughs> and imagine whenever I see those dog walkers, I think there are a few 
steps or a few pigeons away from one dog darting after the pigeon and then all of the leads getting tangled up and I just think now nah, that's not for me they're cute but not that many way anyway let's talk a little bit more about Belgium because the point of saying that is the fact that of course some of their players still aren't professional Nikki Evrob with that big save as I said we've got to put this into context haven't we in terms of some of the teams some of the players at this level are playing at a different level to some of the other teams in there so it's a remarkable achievement and Belgium can still be very proud of their efforts would you say Carrie? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as we've said, Sweden were always the favourites to go through. No one thought Belgium would get to this point. This is kind of breaking new ground for them and they're going to take something from this. And as always with tournament football, next time round, they'll, they'll know better and know different. Okay, well, whilst we did touch upon Black Senius there, this gives us the opportunity to pay tribute to an Arsenal legend. You may have seen the really sad news today on social media. The Arsenal superfan Maria Petri sadly passed away. If you've ever been to a game at Borehamwood or if you've ever followed Arsenal's women anywhere or Arsenal's men come to that, you will surely have heard of Maria. The outpouring of love for her on social media was huge. She followed the Gunners both home and away, men's and women's. Her chants were legendary. If you went to Borehamwood, you knew she was there before you saw her. What a sad day, not only for women's football, but for football in general. Yeah, yeah, she's an absolute legend. I, I don't I don't think that's just at Arsenal either. I think that's across, you know, throughout women's football. So really, really sad to hear that news. And I'm sure the club will, will do their best to, to honour her when they can. And it's not just women's football as well, actually, seeing what Ian Wright was saying about her as well. She was Arsenal through and through. She was women's football through and through. And people like her are the reason that the game has grown so much in recent years. Yeah, for sure. It's so good to see people like Ian Wright talking about her and, and I hope there'll be many others as well you know she's she's going to be a great miss for for everyone around the club yeah very well said indeed rest in peace Maria Petri, the Arsenal super fan our thoughts are of course with all of our friends and family at this time quick thoughts before we move on then because we've got so much to talk about on today's show I've got to ask you Carrie how do you think England are going to fare against Sweden we already said that potentially they could have been quite pleased to see the amount of effort that they had to put into tonight's game the fact that they were going full throttle right up until the final whistle but do you see them causing the Lionesses a serious threat? I think if you had the exact same Sweden team heading out for the semi-final I'd think England would feel quite happy but I don't think it's going to be that lineup. I think they'll have more players available and I think they'll set up very very differently against England. It it will not be it will not be as straightforward as some people seem to be thinking already. The big question has been for all of the teams so far when facing the Lionesses is how can they handle England's attack and not only how can they handle England's starting attack but how can they handle the players that are undoubtedly going to come off that game-changing bench in the second half as it's been so far. That's the challenge that lies ahead. Do you think they're up to the challenge, Sarah? I do. I mean, that you know, Sweden have got such pedigree at this level and they've got a coach in Peter Gerhardsen who's also extremely experienced. And they will have they will have obviously watched the Lionesses throughout this tournament. They'll know, you know, where the threats are, they'll know who the threats are coming off the bench. They'll know <laughs> who Serena Wiegmann's gonna start because <laughs> they've started every single game so far and I, I think she's probably going to do the same thing again. So I, I think Sweden will be extremely well prepared for England, you know, providing they have those players back. Also, I, th- I saw Aslani was icing, I think it was her ankle at the end of the game there, and she is such a crucial player for Sweden. So mm. they will really hope that she's okay to start 
that game next week. Do you actually think that England's attacking style will suit Sweden? Or am I potentially giving them too much credit there? Do, do you know what I mean when I, when I say that, Sarah? I do, yeah. And actually, Jonas Eideval was saying the same thing on TV earlier. And um, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to his insights. So I, I would definitely... Brilliant, hasn't he? I tweeted that yeah. tonight, actually. Shout out for Jonas Eideval. He's yeah. If we were going to have a pundit of the tournament, obviously you guys would be up there as well, but he's definitely up there for me. Yeah, I think he's been fascinating. He's got such an eye for detail. Some of the things that he says, I just don't think most people really spot, not even some of the other mm. pundits that they've had on. He's a, he's a really, really interesting coach. So yeah, I agree that the way that England play will potentially suit Sweden more than the way that Belgium played tonight. I think they'll be looking forward to that game probably more than they were to tonight's game because they knew that it was going to be such a, a difficult one in terms of getting, creating chances and, and being able to finish them. Yeah, so shout out there for Jonas Eideval. It's going to be a fascinating tactical battle next week. Of course, that game between England and Sweden taking place on Tuesday in Sheffield. Yeah, everyone at the moment trying to get tickets for that game on Tuesday night at Bramall Lane. Before we move on, Carrie, I'm told you're a big fan of Gahardsson. Peter Gahardsson is one of my favourite coaches to listen to in all of football, in all of football history. Those listeners who have been with us for a while will remember uh, Kate and Lindsay and me picking out lots of his uh, bon mot uh, during the Women's World Cup in 2019. But I really enjoyed his comments this week. We didn't worry about media pressure. I didn't read the papers because he has a cat and a love of music. How brilliant is that? He doesn't care. He has a cat. He has a cat. So we've got, I don't know how many minutes into this podcast we are, but somehow we've managed to bring up dogs, cats, music. <laughs> you only get this on the Athletic Women's Football Show, honestly. The things that we cover on here. Well, that is our wrap of Sweden. They are into the semi-finals. They'll take on the Lionesses on Tuesday night, but there is plenty more to talk about. There's another tournament going on right now, and that certainly deserves our attention. So more on that next this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Well, it's time now for our Women's Africa Cup of Nations update. Joining us now is journalist Alistair Howarth, who runs the African Football on the Whistle podcast. Now, Alistair, last time we caught up with you, you were on a balcony in Morocco and the quarterfinals had just started. It's safe to say a lot has happened since. First Zambia qualified for their first ever World Cup. Yeah, it's it's been a very exciting tournament and it's kind of only got more exciting since since the quarterfinals. Um, I mean, we had two of the biggest semifinals kind of we've seen in, in recent times. Uh, first of all, you know, we had, you know, Southern African rivals, South Africa and Zambia going head to head in a great game. And it was tight, you know, really kind of not pleasant to watch a proper derby. And it was kind of nil nil until the 94th minute when South Africa won a controversial penalty that Linda Maclalo put away. Great redemption story for her. She missed the key penalty in 2018 when they lost in the final in a penalty shootout to Nigeria. So kind of great for her. But that game was very, very quickly overshadowed by the game between Morocco and Nigeria. Morocco posting the biggest ever attendance in an African women's game. Over 45,000 fans packed into... Wow. The, the stadium in Rabat, an incredible atmosphere, kind of the full, the full African experience, if you'd say, kind of flares everywhere, lasers, kind of fantastic atmosphere, kind of at times bordering into a bit kind of dangerous and in, in 
you know, stuff we don't want to see, but brilliant nonetheless. And they're playing, you know, nine times champions, Nigeria, who came into the competition as favorites. And Nigeria saw two players get sent off following VAR checks. And, uh, but despite going down to nine players, they played 50 minutes with nine players. They held on at 1-1 to get to the penalty shootout, but it was the... Ifioma Onomono who missed the key penalty and then Rosella Ayan who scored the winning penalty for Morocco to send them through to their first ever Cup of Nations and if you've not seen it yet you need to see the clip of her scoring the goal because it is hilarious because she she didn't realize that it was the winning penalty <laughs> and so she kind of scores turns around kind of starts to walk back kind of very solemnly and then sees everyone running to her kind of has <laughs> this kind of what's going on moment and then it all clicks and it's just glorious to see. <laughs> Carrie, you actually chatted, didn't you, to Ian's relatives recently. I'm wondering if you've got any insight as to why she took so long to realise that they won. Did they say that maybe her attention to detail wasn't great or something similar? No, well, I saw the, I saw the clip on social media, and I was like, "What is happening here?" So I watched it, and I I know one of her in laws, so I messaged him and I said, "What on earth is going on with Rosella?" And he said, "I've just rung her. She thought there were two penalties left. She didn't realise it was the last penalty, and so it wasn't until she saw everyone else celebrating that she started to, you know, she she actually reacted to that. So I said, uh, "That'll be a what happened next question in the, in a question of sport in a couple of years' time, won't it?" Do you know what? I'm going to stick up for Rosella a little bit there because there is nothing that unnerves me more as a football reporter than when a game goes to penalties and I've got to kind of live report on it or kind of almost commentate on it because it's quite scary. You do not want to get it wrong. I've got a pen and paper there to work it out. When you're on the pitch, you haven't. So I feel her pain completely. Though, um, yeah, it was very amusing seeing I too saw that clip on social media. Anyway, Morocco versus South Africa is the final on Saturday night. What's the latest chat around that, Alistair? Well, I think it's going to be a really interesting final. You know, neither of these teams have won the tournament. You know, with Nigeria being knocked out, we will have a new a new champion. And, you know, I think it's really exciting because the one thing I would say about both of these two teams is they are by far and away the two best coached sides at this tournament. You know, Morocco have the glitz and the glamour. They've got Reynaud Pedros, who's obviously he's won two Champions League titles with Lyon in Europe and has a huge amount of pedigree coming in into the Moroccan side. I think they've now gone... 16 or 17 games undefeated against African opposition. They're really, really well coached side and have superb set pieces. But, you know, on the other side, we have South Africa who, you know, I think play, have the highest ceiling in terms of the football they can play. They have some sensational players. And in coach Desiree Ellis, she, you know, literally last night received a record breaking third award of, of CAF coach of the year. And so she's, she's come a long way with the side. She's been in charge for six years and built a really good side. I think it's going to be really tight. I think, you know, one goal in it, Max, you know, I, I'm not seeing many goals because these two teams create loads of chances, but also neither of them really can put the ball in the back of the net. They really struggle to put away the chances they create. And I think it's just going to be an electric game in terms of the atmosphere. It's going to be cagey. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw penalties again. Oh, let's hope that um, Ian's worked out how to count those penalties uh, now that she doesn't <laughs> want to end up in that sticky situation. Hopefully she's got a teammate that she's already said, look, if we get to penalties, keep me posted because I don't have a clue. Very quickly before you leave you, Alistair, obviously it sounds incredible to be out there watching that football at the moment, but how are you coping with following that and also keeping abreast of what's going on in the Euros over here? Uh, you know, it, it is a struggle. I, I spoke to, to Ashley Plumpter the other day and kind of we were talking about it. She's saying, I have no idea how to watch the games. 
uh, from Morocco. <laughs> so it's been it's been a real shame because I haven't been able to watch any of the games. You know, partially games are overlapping, but there's it's just also not broadcast here. So it, mm. it's been really really hectic, and I'm very grateful for for you guys for doing the daily the daily stuff because you know that's what helps me keep abreast when I'm kind of on in taxis getting between stadiums and things like that. It's been a very very hectic few weeks, um, but and I'm excited to come back to the UK and hopefully catch uh, the semi-finals and the final. Well, we're glad to have been of service. Uh, Producer Abby and Sophie have been working tirelessly to bring you these podcasts each and every day. So thank you for listening. And as always, thank you for contributing and keeping us posted. Enjoy the final on Saturday night and also enjoy what I hope is going to feel like euphoria when you come back to London around what has been a brilliant tournament here in England. Um, We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks so much. And there is more great women's AFCON pieces on The Athletic, courtesy of Nick Miller. So do give those a read. But it's time now to do a rather glamorous trip from Morocco to Rotherham. You're listening to The Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Well, coming up on Saturday, it's a huge quarterfinal up in Rotherham. It's France taking on the Netherlands. And joining us to chat about this one is the Dutch journalist, Amory Posma. Amory, good to have you on. Just how confident are you feeling about Saturday's match? Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> I don't know if I feel confident. I mean, when the match comes closer, you always feel you want them to win, right? But if I'm being realistic, I don't think they're going to they're gonna beat France. But there's always this feeling that you want them to. So, yeah, can go either way. Carrie, I can hear that Anne-Marie not feeling too confident. <laughs> she says that she thinks France are just going to have too much for the Netherlands. Is that your consensus and your feeling going into this one? I think the Netherlands have been maybe a little bit under par so far this tournament, but France can quite easily self-destruct. So, I mean, I I, I wouldn't be quite as... I'm not going to say... I'll, I'll say pragmatic. Pragmatic as Anne-Marie <laughs> there, who I think is downplaying everything a little bit, uh, which is always the way that you have to go, I think, when you're cheering on your team in a, in a big match. But no, I think I think Netherlands have more chance there than perhaps Anne-Marie's indicating there. It's going to be interesting to see the team sheets on this one as well, Anne-Marie, isn't mm. it? Because Miedemar is going to be back for the Netherlands, whether she'll start or not. They've not got Lika Martins. Then you've seen France missing Katoto, but Mallard filled in well in the last game. It's going to be interesting to kind of see if Miedemar starts firstly from a Netherlands point of view. Yeah, I, I've heard that that she will start probably. Um, there's a big chance. I I, I, just, I think he was kind of misleading the French there by keeping it as a secret. But um, if, if she's fit enough, of course, he'll start with her. And then, I mean, the way we finished so strong against Switzerland, it raises the question, should he start with the younger ones? But then, you know, on the other hand, it's, it's a quarterfinal. So I can imagine that he will just start with the familiar first 11. And then you have to, the only question mark will be the player he'll put in for Lika Martins. And um, mm-hmm. it was funny because in the press room, we had this dis- discussion going on because I think it's going to be between Bederstein and Pelova. And mm. Pelova has been replacing Lika Martins when she was injured earlier this year. And Pelova, yeah, she, she said that, that she was very disappointed not to have started earlier in this uh, tournament because she, she literally said, I don't know what I could have done any better to deserve a spot at the first eleven. And then we have Bederstein, who has more experience with this, with his bigger matches, but then she hasn't quite delivered as much uh, this tournament. So 
I'm really curious who who he's uh, going to choose. It does feel like we haven't seen the best of the Netherlands recently. And is it fair to say as well, Anne-Marie, that maybe they've relied on individual brilliance a little bit to get to them to this point? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, they've they've been facing uh, quite a few challenges, you know, losing the captain uh, in the first match. Uh, we had positive corona tests with Chucky Groene, Viviana Miedema and uh, another injury with Anik Nauwe, Lika Martens, who's gone home this week. So, but with this team, it's always the more challenges they face, the better they, they start playing. But then it seems more a couple of individuals putting together than it's becoming a team. And if you hear players and the coach talking about this process, they're still, they seem to be in this process while you're at the Euros. And then if you compare it to the England squad, you clearly see that um, they all, yeah, they are a team and they're playing together. And then if you compare it to the Netherlands, it seems they were, they didn't have enough time to become a team uh, facing this tournament. Mm. And, What's happened, especially in the first match, you see that the players, yeah, they've got a lot to say <laughs> to the to the media <laughs> and to yes. the coach. And 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 if you hear Midema saying that she she talked with Mark Parsons during halftime about a tactical move, you you start wondering, okay, who's making the decisions here? You mm. know, and that's a really strange thing. And and we had the same with Jill Ward, who was uh, talking in uh, to to a journalist from the Volkskrant, uh, giving this very interesting interview and this this perspective on the game. Of she's being really open about what's going on within the team, and that that Mark Parsons says a lot. He talks a lot, and um, and some players for some players it's been too much. And does she feel free to talk about it because he is such a nice guy? Or does she mm. feel free to talk about it because it's really been an issue within the team? So there's a lot going on like that. What about France, Sarah? They've reached the quarterfinal in every major tournament they've qualified for in the past 10 years, but they haven't got past that stage. Can you see them doing it? Do you think they've got a bit more about them this time around? I feel like they're, they're probably favourites, but... When a team has a record like that, sometimes you start to wonder if there's some some sort of mental block, you know, that's that's stopping them from taking that next step. As much as they'll probably say that it's not in their mind, I'm sure they know <laughs> that they've you know fallen at this this hurdle so many times before. So it'll be interesting. I, I feel like they've got a really good chance. They've looked they've looked like a pretty happy bunch so far which is the thing that everyone everyone always questions about this France team you know they seem to have coped without Katoto so far with Mallard coming in as you said so I, I think they've got the quality you know there's no questioning that but I think with the Netherlands you know the one thing that they've got is that you know they're the defending champions and that must give them that must give them mm. some sort of mental edge as well. But I think their record against France isn't isn't great, although I think it's been a while since they've actually played in a competitive match. So it's going to be really interesting. I, I think it's a tough one, a tough one to call, but I think France would probably edge it as favourites for me. If they are going to edge it, Carrie, would you say that potentially it could be on the wing where they'll have their success. That seems to be where most of their joys come in this tournament. That looks like it's going to have to be what Netherlands will have to stop. Yeah, they I mean they have, they have looked excellent coming coming down the wing using using the width. But having said that, I mean I think the Netherlands have have looked fairly 
Um, more solid than one might have expected after that first uh, the, the, the first game and losing the, obviously the I'm sorry Van Vienendal so early on. I think they've looked relatively relatively comfortable. I don't know what Anne Marie thinks about that, but yes, I think France will be looking to make an impact down the flanks, pushing on, and as, as you said, Mallard has has stepped in admirably uh, for the absent Katoto, who I think we all thought was going to be a massive miss, and uh, she's really stepped up and stepped into the spotlight. You're thinking further ahead to the semi-final. England will have two days more rest than Sweden, and Germany will also have two more days than either the Netherlands or France. Now, Jackie Gronin said in her pre-match presser, it's a bit weird that some teams have a bit more rest than other teams. I don't fully understand, to be honest. What do you make of that, Anne-Marie? Yeah, I was surprised she she said that. I mean, uh, I I can understand where she's coming from. On the other hand, I mean, we all, we also know how how nice it is to be in this rhythm of the tournament. I mean, and if if you give players four or five days rest, sometimes it happens. Uh, for example, with the World Cup, did they say it's it's been too much? You know, so I think with the depth of the depth of the team, we've got enough players on the bench that are just so eager to play that the fitness level shouldn't be a problem for the Netherlands. If you look at the last game, uh, especially, you saw them coming off the bench. Uh, but yeah, I imagine it's it's a bit unfair. But to be honest, I didn't think about it before. And then she said this and uh, yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> We're at the stage of the tournament, aren't we, where mind games are coming into play. All of these managers and players saying all they can to get in each other's head. Well, Anne-Marie, we've been trying to make you feel a bit more confident any any joy, any luck? How are you feeling? Well, I mean, I, I just want to be realistic, you know. I mean, if, if you look... <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> no, I mean, we mentioned the goalkeeper before, right? I mean, we, we have to give a lot of credits to this 22-year-old 20, goalkeeper, Daphne van Domselaar, who's been basically the hero of the match uh, against Switzerland. And she's brought uh, Netherlands to the, to the quarterfinal. And there are more players delivering and uh, playing the best they can. So definitely there is a possibility that Netherlands will reach to the to the semi-final. It's just, if you compare the, the strength of France and the Netherlands, I don't think they're going to make it. But if they're eager to play and they find the spirit back that they found in the last 15 minutes against Switzerland, yeah, there's definitely a possibility. So if I have to call it, I'll go for a 2-1 victory for the Netherlands, okay? Okay, there is some confidence there. I knew that we'd be able to talk you into feeling a bit more positive about it. Or we'll enjoy your trip to, unfortunately, not New York, but the New York Stadium. I'm going to be there, so hopefully our paths will cross. Enjoy. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, see you there. <laughs> and of course, that game will decide whether it is going to be the Netherlands or France in the semi-final against Germany. Well, that's all we have time for on today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. A big thank you to Carrie and to Sarah. Come on, Carrie, tell me where you will be next. Where's the next stop on your Euros adventure? My Euros adventure is all from home at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, due to uh, COVID, I haven't been to a oh. stadium since before COVID. So um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm kind of stuck at home. But I'm enjoying watching it all on the TV, which is quite nice to do. I was going to say, sometimes there are benefits because you can hear all of the analysis, you can see all of the angles and like it did tonight when it rained, what the heck is going on, England? <laughs> I thought it was sunny uh, for the time, but it rained up there in Lee and you were at home. So there is one benefit, but <laughs> I'm glad that it's all across the TV so you can see it. What about you, Sarah? Where are you going next? 
I'm much the same, actually. <laughs> I've been mostly at home, oh. although I might, I might have a way to the final. I'm, uh, I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly, mostly in my kitchen or in my living room with my one-year-old asleep upstairs. So trying not to wake oh. her up, mostly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, she's a little bit too little to um, appreciate what an incredible tournament. But hopefully, in years to come, she'll be able to benefit from all of the huge strides that are being made Absolutely. in women's football. Well, thank you both very much for joining me. And thank you, as always, to producer Sophie but the biggest thank you as always goes to you the listener we are of course with you every step of the way for the rest of the euro so do keep listening and spreading the word and while you're at it do follow or subscribe to our channel they say yes. I have no idea if that pronunciation is correct that's apparently goodbye in Swedish I'll stick with the English bye-bye The Athletic.